You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Good morning, Harvest. Very good to, great to be with you. Not very good, great to be with you this morning, uh, worshiping the Lord and opening up God's word together. Thank you, Jeff, for the very uh, gracious and kind introduction. Uh, I want you to know that just as much as uh, your church loves us, we love you uh, from Harvest Niagara. You have been such an integral part of our ministry from eight years ago when I was hired, right through the launch of our church, uh, right up till now. We continue to value the prayers and the support and the encouragement of both your leaders and your congregation. So as much as you love us, I want to assure you from Harvest Niagara that we love you, and if you're ever down in our, our area, we encourage you to come, and we invite you to come and, and, and worship with us at our church. Again, so good to be with you this morning, opening up God's Word with you uh, today. You can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 uh, to 32 is what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, and uh, as we get there, I just want to uh, uh, just introduce to you the, the theme of where we're going today, and what I want to do this morning is uh, talk to you and share with you about uh, a reality that every believer must pursue to be fully alive in Jesus Christ, and here it is. To be fully alive in Jesus Christ, every believer must pursue a life of radical forgiveness. I'm not talking about this morning receiving forgiveness. We love to hear that kind of message, don't we? I'm talking about to be fully alive in Jesus Christ. We as believers must embrace God's call to also be living lives, as much as he's forgiven us, to forgive others, even those in our lives that have hurt us the greatest. Reality is, we live in a world that is full of hurt and full of pain. We can't escape it. It's like signing up for football, not expecting to get hurt. This doesn't happen. Because of the sin, cursed, stained world we live in, we are going to encounter often in our lives opportunities not just to be forgiven, but to forgive others that mistreat us that misunderstand us, that miscommunicate with us. And you live long enough and you will understand that you live on both sides of this equation and and how do we handle the pain that comes our way? We'd like to avoid it, we'd like to pretend it's not there, but, but the reality is it's there. How do we avoid the pain that comes our way through relationships of sometimes those we know the closest and love the most? What do we do with this? Do we curl up in a little cocoon and protect ourselves and say, oh man, I've been hurt before, don't wanna go there again? Do we avoid all relationships to avoid future pain? That's not God's plan for our lives yet. I've watched over the years of ministry so many believers take that mentality and that route when it comes to living out our faith. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I'm even not naive to the fact that many even today walk in here with pain and, and the, the weight of, of things that have been happening in your life that you can't escape and you don't know how to get through this. Let me tell you this this morning, that God has a plan for us and a path for us through the pain that he allows into our lives for his purposes and for his glory, and that is this, to walk through relationships with a heart that longs to forgive those who hurt us the most. 
get to the topic of forgiveness, and it always seems easy when we need it, but so hard when we need to give it. And yet, understand this, brothers and sisters, that, that as we entertain this mentality of, I've got to forgive those in my life who have hurt me, this is how we experience the reality of the gospel in our lives. This is how the world around us sees the true glory of the cross of Jesus Christ in and through us as we don't just accept it, but we give forgiveness. Not a light message today, but one that God has clearly laid on my heart for us as we open up the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 32 come in the context of of the the author Paul telling us we need to live in unity as Christian brothers and talking about what it is to walk in a new life in Jesus Christ. Then we get to verse, verse 30, and this is one of the most famous one another's that we come up against that forgive one another. Let me start reading in verse 30 this morning. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Here it is, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the phrase we're going to focus on. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Believe me when I say this morning that I understand that this is going to be a, maybe a hard message for some to hear. It's not an easy one to deliver, but understand this as well, that I come here not hoping to hammer you, but to give you hope and healing in Jesus Christ. Over my 20-some-odd years of church ministry, I've come to realize that this one issue of unforgiveness is what holds so many believers captive and incapacitates them in their faith. And I long to see if you're here in that place today, you delivered to, to know the freedom and the fullness of life that God can give you and will give you in Jesus Christ you choose to follow his path of forgiveness. So that's my desire today, to set you free. Not to put you in bondage today, but to set you free for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so can I pray before we get into the text? Can I pray? knowing that I desperately need this to deliver this in a way that you're going to hear this, and you desperately need this, that God would use this to speak into your life, a message we all need to hear, myself included. So let me pray this morning. Father, we're so grateful to be able to be in your house this morning, worshiping you with fellow brothers and sisters. God, we thank you this morning for the amazing grace we've sung about in Jesus Christ that is extended to us uh, through uh, your Son, the grace that saves us, the grace that sanctifies us, the grace that sustains us. Thank you, God, for your ever-present love in our lives. Where would we be without Jesus Christ? You're everything to us, oh God. You mean the world to us. Father, as we go throughout this message, I pray that you'd open up every eye and every heart here to hear this word from you, not from me, from you. I pray that you would do things in our hearts that only you can do. Reveal to us, God, where there is unforgiveness. Free us, Lord, uh, to lives that truly live out this radical forgiveness that we've received in Jesus. God, may not one heart here think this is not for them. May this, not one heart here think this is from me to them. May we look to the heavens now and hear from our God today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're just going to dive in this morning, starting at verse 30. Uh, I'm going to help you understand the priority of forgiveness. So often I think I come to this topic of forgiveness, and, and, and even in my own heart I find myself doing this. I know I need to forgive, but don't we find all kinds of excuses on why we shouldn't forgive and, and maybe minimize, is it really that important in my life? You ever found yourself doing that? 
Well, I know I'm supposed to forgive. God says it, but does anyone do that anymore? Oh, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but do you understand how much they've hurt me? I know I'm supposed to forgive, and God commands it, but do you really think he expects me to forgive in the circumstances I find myself in? I think so often when it comes to the hard things, the easy things in the word, we're like, yes, bring it on, bring it on the hard things. We try to squirm our way out of it, and yet, yet God doesn't want us to squirm our way out of it. Here's the priority of forgiveness in God's heart. I want you to first understand this before we get to the practicalities of forgiveness. I first want to help you understand the, the priority of forgiveness that God has for this message. Look at what it says in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Therefore, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, these are things that come with unforgiveness, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I was preparing this sermon. I got stuck on that. I was just going to preach, honestly, verse 32, but I got stuck on verse 30. I got stuck on verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What does this mean? It means this, that God is not an impersonal force like the wind. God is, the Holy Spirit is not an it in our lives. He's a third member of the Trinity that has all the characteristics and all the attributes of God. In other words, everything that God is, the Holy Spirit who indwells you is. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit can do and does do is grieve. What does that mean? It means he becomes saddened. He becomes tearful as he watches his children walk in ways that are not becoming of his kids. Right away, you should be getting a little bit of the intensity of this, uh, how important is forgiveness in God's eyes. When we choose to not forgive, when we choose to walk in unforgiveness, the Holy Spirit within us grieves. Think about that for a minute. When I choose to walk contrary to God, the Holy Spirit within me grieves, is weeping for my life. That's how important this is to God. I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I used to be able to, I knew how to push all my parents' buttons. Kids, are you with me? I was such a little rebel, I used to take great joy in almost ticking my parents off, and I'd be like, you know, you see them blow their top, you're like, yes, I'm winning! What a horrible kid I was, eh? And every once in a while, you know, you'd be getting just to the point where you think you're winning, and every once in a while, my, my mom would stop, and she'd just be like, enough of this, she'd just, you see the tears welling up in her eyes? See your little lip quiver, and she just start crying. It's like, I can't do it anymore. You know what that would do every time? That would just stop me dead in my rebellious tracks, and, and just it'd shut every argument off. I'd just stop dead. I'd be like, what are you? So sorry, Mom. When you see how much it grieves your parents, this is what God said. This is, our unforgiveness grieves the Spirit of God. Even my dad, my big old tough dad, we used to be like battering rams, both stubborn men, you know? We'd run at each other from the other side of the house, and bam! Every once in a while, he'd stop. Right before we hit heads, and he'd just... A couple times I remember, I was, you just start crying. And in the moment of seeing my father in tears, would just like all of a sudden, all of my rebellious sinfulness would just cave in on me. Like, I can't do this anymore. This is what God is teaching us here with our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our anger, our wrath. It just grieves the Spirit of God. This is a high priority for us today. Forgiveness is a high priority for us as believers, it is an important imperative in our lives. Why is this so important to God? Why does this grieve the Spirit of God? I just want, before we get to the practicalities of this, here's the priority of forgiveness. It grieves the Spirit of God for three reasons. Unforgiveness grieves the Spirit of God for three reasons. Uh, number one, it drives a wedge between God and myself. 
It's not that big a deal, is it, to be unforgiving? Unforgiveness drives a wedge between God and myself. Unsettled relationships in your life means also that your relationship with God is also out of sync. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, when Jesus is setting up a whole new code of living for his people, and he says, you know, in the Old Testament it says don't murder. I say don't hate. You call your brother a fool, and you're in danger of hell. Then in verses 23 and 24, he says this, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember your brother is something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then, and co- then come and offer your gift. This tells us that our relationships are massively important to God. If we're coming to worship God, if we're, if we're reading the Bible every day diligently, if, if we have all these great flowery prayers and yet we're missing out on having right relationships with others, God's not as impressed as we think he is. Oh, but my hands are held highest in worship. You come to offer your worship and your sacrifice to the Lord. And he says, if your relationships aren't right, don't even bother. Go get things right first. Then come and worship me because then our relationship can be square. It's no different than the way I think in my home, to be honest. My kids can fight like cats and dogs all day. And pastor's kids do fight like cats and dogs all day, believe it or not. The end of the day, I get so exasperated. Well, can I just have a hug, Dad? Are we all good? No, we're not all good, son. You make this stuff right, then we'll be all good. Unforgiveness drives a wedge between myself and God. I even wonder if some people even in this room this morning have been doing all the right things and been dedicated to all the right spiritual practices, but the unforgiveness in your heart, like what's missing? Something's missing. The fire's not there. I'm not experiencing God like I used to. You can't pinpoint it, can't pinpoint it. Maybe God wants to pinpoint this morning it's because you've been living in unforgiveness and harboring bitterness in your heart. You live in unforgiveness is like putting a bucket of water on that little flame of passion in your life, it quenches the spirit. That's why when we choose to live in unforgiveness, God grieves. Second reason that God grieves is this. It doesn't just drive a wedge between myself and God. It destroys myself and those I love. To live in unforgiveness, is what this passage is telling us, is, is the exact opposite of our new nature in Jesus Christ. And although it might look all good on the outside... Inside, we're wasting away. We're being eaten alive. In danger of spiritual death. It is possible to look good on the outside and be inwardly nothing like on the outside. There's this disease I read about not too long ago, the the white root rot disease. You've got to say that seven times fast. It's a disease that attacks a healthy part of the, the, the root of the plant, and everything looks good on the, on the upside of the plant, but underneath it's all being eaten away. And, and this is what unforgiveness does to the, the soul. Anytime we choose to live in bitterness, these are all roots of unforgiveness, aren't they? Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Anytime we choose to live in these things, we are putting ourselves susceptible to the white root rot disease of the soul. What's a life defined by bitterness? It's a smoldering resentment and animosity towards God and everybody else. Find yourself there this morning. What about wrath? Seething, uncontrollable rage that breeds hate. All roots of unforgiveness, anger, the deep angst that makes you feel like you're going to burst, clamor. 
Here's what clamor means. It's a loss of control and outbursts in words or actions that clamor to inflict pain and strife on others. Some people seem to love that stuff. Slander. Those negative words that malign character and reputation, the goal to take the other person down, malice, the dreaming up of all kinds of evil that you wish God would do to the person who's hurt you so much. I wish they get tenfold. Bring the hammer, Lord. Sometimes we feel justified to live in these attitudes and actions, don't we? With what they've done to me, God wouldn't be grieved by that, would he? Yes, he'd be grieved by that. You know why? Because you choose to live in these things. It is, it is killing you on the inside. Don't fool yourself into thinking that it's not going to have a detrimental effect on your life. Here's the other thing it does. It also kills all those around you who are closest to you that you might not even realize. You're saving up all your vengeance for so-and-so who's hurt you so deeply, and yet who's the brunt of that? It's oftentimes your wife and your husband and your kids and your small group and those that you don't even realize that you're living you're hurting in the process. It grieves the spirit of the Lord. Here's the third reason why it grieves the spirit of the Lord. It doesn't just drive a wedge between myself and God. It doesn't just destroy myself and those I love. It reveals that I have yet to truly grasp the gospel. You getting the significance of forgiveness? It reveals that I've yet to truly grasp the gospel. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35 is a parable that Jesus gave us to help us understand the, 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 the vast priority of forgiveness in our lives. And in that parable, it's a parable of a, a king who's calling all of his servants to give account for the debts that they owe. And he calls the first servant in, and the first servant owes him an exuberant amount of money, 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents in Jesus' day. It was in the millions today. And probably this guy was a tax collector, commentators think, because he owed so much money. So this tax collector comes, and, and he owed about 11 years' worth of taxes for four Roman provinces. That's a lot of money. A sum he could never pay. And so the king says, pay back what you owe me. He's like, oh, king, oh, king, I could never pay back what you owe me. He's like, great, then you're going to jail. I'm going to sell you and your wife and your kids and everything you have to help pay this debt. And this... Uh, the mercy of the king, the, the servant said, there's, there's no way, oh king. He fell on his face and said, would you give me some grace and mercy? The king, in a moment of compassion, looked at this poor old soul and said, yes, I'll forgive your debt. Can you imagine? Took his debt and ripped it up in front of him. It was gone. Can you imagine that reality? If that's you, it's like that, remember that guy last September that threw the firecracker in that canyon in Oregon and started that 48,000 hectare fire? Remember that guy? And the judge said he had to pay $36.6 million back for all the damage. Like, whatever. 15-year-old kid, there's no way he could. This is, this is sort of the same scenario. Can you imagine the freedom that, that that servant must have found? You'd think he'd be on top of the world. He'd be the most forgiving guy in the scriptures after this. And yet what he does next is astounding. After he's received so much grace and so much forgiveness, he starts calling his servants in. And first servant he calls in owes him 100 denarii which is basically 100 days worth of wage for a New Testament worker, average wage, minimum wage. The guy says to him, oh, I can't pay that. And, and instead of saying, well, I've just been forgiven, look at, I'll give you forgiveness. You know what he did? He grabbed him by the throat and he pinned him up against the wall. And he's like, then you go to jail until you can pay me what you owe me. Other servants are standing around going like, what are we just witnessing? They went to the king and said, do you realize that guy you just let off the hook just did this to someone who owed him money. The king went and grabbed that initial guy he had forgiven. And this is what it says at the end of that. This is what it says at the end of that text. 
verse 35. He threw the unforgiving servant in prison until the debt could be repaid. At verse 35, he says this at the end of that passage. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, those who have been forgiven, who choose to not forgive, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's in the Bible, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you this because I love you. And want you to see the fullness of what God has for you. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It says the exact same thing at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You choose not to forgive. Don't count on being forgiven in heaven. Is it because God is mean and vengeful? Not at all. It's because it's impossible to be the recipient of such amazing, the amazing grace God gives us and then not in turn give that same grace to other people. It's impossible. It's proof that maybe we truly haven't encountered the reality of the gospel. You get in the sense that forgiveness is close to the heart of God. That forgiveness is not my idea for you this morning. It's God's mandate upon all of our lives, mine included. This is why the last verse, the exhortation, this is an exhortation in verse 32. Therefore, in light of all this, this bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander that we so often carry around like it's no big deal. It's actually a big deal. It's driving a wedge between God and myself. It's crushing my own heart and my relationships. It's actually proof that maybe I don't understand the gospel. And so put all those things away, he's saying, and then live out your new life in Jesus Christ, verse 32. So here's the imperative. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. This isn't a little, hey, if you think it might be helpful tonight, do this. This is an imperative. We sometimes treat these imperatives like the road signs when we drive down the road. It says 80, but it doesn't really mean 80, right? But this is an imperative because God knows what you need. He knows what's best for you, even though we don't know if we agree with him all the time. All those texts and all those verses in pointing out to us the reality of forgiveness. If we choose to not forgive, we miss out on God's grace. Here's here's what's really telling us. Here's what's really telling us. To choose forgiveness is to choose Jesus Christ. When I choose to forgive, I actually choose Jesus Christ. The whole point of this one another is not to focus on all the unforgiveness. Well, that's important for us to understand before we get to the practicalities of forgiveness. But to understand this, when I choose to forgive, I'm actually choosing not the other person. I'm choosing first Jesus Christ. Thus the command to forgive is choosing really to let go of vengeful desires and to love the offender. To let go of all of my vengeful desires and to love the offender. Be forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. I understand this is a tall order for some people. You've gone through things in your lives that I have never gone through and I will never go through. And honestly, I do not understand your pain. There's things that you've encountered that you're like, I, I hear it. I get it. I don't know how to walk through this. I want this. I need this. Tell me how to walk through this. Here's the practicalities of how we live this out. It'd be easy just to stop here and say, okay, forgive one another. Go home and make it happen. That's really not what God calls us to do in preaching, right? 
I want to help you walk this path of forgiveness in your life if you find yourself there. If you're not there today, you will be there shortly in the future, just the nature of human relationships. Here's where the path of forgiveness starts. It's, it's understanding that Jesus' love compels me to forgive. Here's where you start the path of forgiveness, no matter what's transpired in your life. You start by remembering that, man, you have been forgiven of great measure by God himself through Jesus Christ. In all of your outrageous moments in life, in all of your stupidities and arrogance and all the things that you've gone through, God has chosen to, through his son, forgive you in all of your worst moments in life. Here's what it says in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. We have to grasp this. We're going to start the path of forgiveness. Just like the unforgiving servant didn't realize how much he's been forgiven, we also can't fall into that same trap and need to be, realize how much we've been forgiven. Here's the God that we serve, Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, O God? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. This is our God. He will again have compassion on us, again is a key word here, and, and will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You know who chooses not to forgive in this life? Those who don't think that they've been forgiven much of. Just stop with me and think about how much you've been forgiven in your life for a moment. Wow, don't you think? Think of this past day, think of this past week, think of this past month, this past year. All the things, if, if, if God were to come and give you a DVD of all of your five worst moments of this past year and put them in that little player at the back and put them on the screen, how would you feel about that? If you were to do that to me, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be crawling off this stage and looking for a door and looking for a shovel to dig a hole and bury myself and hopefully never come out. Just being honest. But here's the reality. He doesn't do that. You know, Satan makes this, the DVD and says, here's the five worst moments. Judge him, judge him, oh God. God gives it to Jesus. Jesus looks at you. If you're in Christ, he snaps that sucker in half, buries a hole, and you'll never see it again. He literally puts all of your sin in a great big dragnet, drags it out to the middle of the sea, pulls the plug with weights on it, and drops it to the bottom. Awesome, don't you think? Once we stop and realize that, the path of forgiveness doesn't look that difficult, does it? Oh, I don't have that many sin. I, I've never sinned as much as the person who's offended me. Then, then your sin is pride. And it's a great place to start in your confession and repentance mode. But the reality is, is that God is a God of mercy and compassion. And, and Jesus Christ delights in giving us mercy, not just to forgive us from our sins, but to also give us mercy and compassion to forgive like he forgives as people offend us. So you realize that you've been on the other end of forgiveness in an incomprehensible way. You're never going to enter into the forgiveness discussion or ever even entertain the thought. And yet C.S. Lewis tells us to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
Here's the truth about how God forgave you. He didn't just come to clean you up to then go on your merry way and not worry about anyone else. He actually cleaned you up and forgave you and healed you and made you whole in him that you would then in turn be able to do that in other people's lives. Jesus' grace fills me with forgiveness. He doesn't just, he doesn't just give us forgiveness for our own self. He fills us with forgiveness for other people. This is the gospel. Jesus heals us once and for all and gives us the power to also forgive. Jesus doesn't just command us to these things, being kind to one another and tenderhearted. It's God's heart, it's Jesus' heart, and he instills us within us. He takes, when we become saved and we repent of our sins and turn our, put our faith in Jesus, what he does is he does heart surgery on us. He, he cuts us open in a spiritual sense. He takes all of that bitterness and all that anger and all that rage and all those things that we so desperately need to be rid of that we can't rid ourselves of and he throws them into the ocean but then he instills within us a heart that is kind towards others. In other words, uh, love to show kindness or goodness or generosity to those that even don't deserve it. He instills our hearts with kindness and tenderness. What's tenderness? It's a soft heart where in a place that used to be a hard heart, now is made soft. Even towards those whom you think you can't soften your heart towards, Jesus does that in us. This is the gospel. He doesn't just save us, he lives his life through us now that other people might see him through our lives. Sound far-fetched? It's not, it's truth. Sound like it applies to everybody else, but not you because your situation is so unique and, and you've been hurt so bad that, that maybe other people can buy into this, but you can't. It, it's just a lie of Satan because he wants to keep you captive. He wants to hold you down. He wants to incapacitate your faith. But Jesus wants to give you health and holiness and healing this morning. I'm always astounded to read stories of people who have forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. And I look at the situations, I'm like, they couldn't, that, 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 that's, that could never be forgiven apart from Christ. As I prepared for this sermon, I read one, a story about, uh, came out of people.com. Even the world loves these messages of forgiveness, don't they? A lot of our Christian stuff, like, get that out of here, forgiveness. Like, yeah, bring it on. I love stories of reconciliation. People.com, an article from September 12, 2011, about a woman named Mary Johnson, a 15, 59-year-old woman living in Chicago, raising a single mom, raising her son. Back in 1993 at a house party in, sorry, not Chicago, in Minneapolis. And uh, she was raising her son, doing her best to raise her son, raised him in the ways of God in the church. They go to church every Sunday, got to teenage years, got, and kind of got off of the wrong path. And one, one day at 16 years old in 1993, her son went to this house party where he had an altercation. The other man on the other end of that altercation, another kid about the same age, pulled out a gun and shot him dead. I can't even imagine as a parent what that would be like to go through. As the story goes, for 10 years she lived in angry bitterness, both towards the man who shot her son, but also the mother of the man. How could someone raise a kid that would kill another kid at a house party? It dominated her life. And then as she came to uh, her grief share in her Christian church, she went to a gospel-believing church. Some woman in her church said to her once, you need to forgive that man. You need to forgive that man. She said, I could never forgive that man. She said, this is what the Bible calls you to, to forgive that man in Jesus Christ. Mary Johnson, a devoted teacher, always wanted to do what was right before the Lord, decided that in that moment she was going to forgive this man and didn't want to, made a phone call to uh, the man whose name was uh, O'Shea Israel and 
made a phone call. He didn't want to see her. She thought, I'm off the hook. But the Lord kept penetrating her heart. You got to do this. You got to do this. This is the power of Christ in you. A couple more phone calls. A couple phone calls later, she made contact. And Hoshea Israel agreed to meet with her. For 21 days, she fasted and she prayed and fasted and prayed. The day came where she met this man. She walked into the room and, and the spirit of the Lord took over. She crumbled in a heap and she looked him in the eyes and she, said, and she said, son, I don't know you, but I want to tell you today that I forgive you in Jesus' name. Unbelievable. Story gets better. That encounter turned into a friendship. 17 years after he was convicted, O'Shea Israel got out of jail Mary Johnson invited him to live next door to her so she could help him reintegrate into society. She adopted him as her surrogate son. How in the world can somebody ever forgive like that? as we take hold of God's command and God's promise to, to live out forgiveness, God's command to live out forgiveness and his promise that he will help us do this in our lives. Forgiveness is possible every time in Jesus Christ. So let me get to the punch of this sermon. Let me get to the heart of it. It's easy to be all theoretical and all theological about forgiveness, but let me ask you this. Is there anyone in your heart today you need to forgive? You still stumbling around, looking all good on the outside, but in your heart you're harboring this unforgiveness you think no one cares about, no one sees. God is just a small deal in the grand scheme of things, and you're convinced that you can get over this yourself, and, and you don't need to deal with this. Anyone in your heart you need to forgive? Still holding on to the fact that your parent abandoned you when you were a little kid, and you'll never forgive him for that? still holding on to some of those things that your siblings said to you when you were a kid and for 20 years and 30 years they've been haunting you and, you've, and you'll never forgive them for the way they treated you. It's time to forgive this morning, brothers and sisters. It's time to forgive. Amen. That classmate back in grade 12 that made you look like a fool and every time you think of their name, anger builds up the spouse that walked out on you that caused you so much undue pain that you said you'll never forgive. It's time to forgive. It's time to let go this morning. That church scenario that we've been through and caused so much pain, you said to those other church members, I'll never forgive those church members. I'll never forgive them. I can be a Christian, but I'm not forgiving them. It's time to forgive. Is there anything in your heart you need to forgive somebody for today? I'm not naive to this. I know it's difficult. I know there's scenarios in this room that, that I don't begin to comprehend. I'm not trying to minimize your pain or trivialize your pain. I'm not trying to say it's easy. None of those things, none of those things. As a pastor, I get confronted with things all the time that I'm just like, I don't know how anyone could ever get through this on their own. I'm not even telling you this morning to forgive and forget because I don't think you can forgive and forget, really. It's always in the back of your brain, right? But here's the reality. You can forgive and God can bring healing even though you still remember. Amen. I love the quote of Corey Ten Boom who went through the Holocaust and watched many of her family, many of her friends be murdered only to choose the act of forgiveness in Jesus' name. She said this, forgiveness is an act of the will. 
And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. The question is this morning, will we choose to forgive, or will we choose to walk in unforgiveness and all the consequences that brings? As hard as it is to forgive, it's even harder to walk in unforgiveness, let me assure you. Will I choose to forgive this morning? I already told you, it starts with understanding how much you've been forgiven. Realizing that you can't do it on your own, that Jesus gives you all that you need to forgive. But here's some four other things you can do just to get you going on this path. I'm not giving you four steps here, like, do these four steps, it's going to be all good. I understand this could be like a five-year process for some, or a ten-year process. Some it might be dealt with today. But here's, here's some things you can do just to, to start building towards a life and a heart that honors God through forgiveness. Here's the first thing you can do is just start praying. Get on your knees and start praying. Oh God, I have so much pain. I have so much bitterness. I can't rid myself of it. Work in me, oh God. Work in the person who's offended me. Do, let me see you, God. Do what only you can do. Get on your knees and start praying that God would do what he does best. Offer forgiveness in you and through you. Here's the second thing you can do. You can take the initiative in this. Take the first step. How many Christians have I come across? Like, I know I'm supposed to do this, Pastor, but once they take the first step, that'll be a sign from God that I'm supposed to forgive. Uh-uh, that's not a sign from God. The text is a sign from God. Take the first step. Move towards forgiveness. Reach out to that person. Do what you need to do. To actualize reconciliation and forgiveness in your life. Our tendency as human beings is to want to step back. We've been burnt. We want to step back. We're not dumb, right? But yet God says move towards. Don't wait for it to happen. Take God at his word and take a step of faith. Don't bury your pain under the carpet. It doesn't get better that way. Don't bury the hatchet with the, with the handle sticking out, as most Christians are going to bury the hatchet, but the handle's still there in case I need it again. Forgive. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. I know what you're thinking. So how many times am I supposed to do this? Like, the person I'm thinking of, they keep doing it over and over and over, and I forgave, and I forgave, and finally I said, no more, no more, I cut you off question was asked to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 before he gave that parable of the king and the servant. How many times? Seven times, oh God? And that was a religious person thinking he was being pretty spiritual because in the Jewish day, three times, there's a three strike, you're out rule. Forgive him once, strike one. Forgive him twice, strike two. Forgive him three times, strike three, you're out. So he's like, I'm being pretty spiritual here. We actually kind of one up the Jewish three strike rule, don't we? We have a two strike rule. Burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. Jesus blows all that mentality out of the water. You know what he says? Seven times? How about 77 times? Oh, perfect. I've been burned more than 77 times by this person, so 78, I'm done, right? No, 77 is the boundless number. It means it never ends. Just like Christ's forgiveness for you never ends, your forgiveness for others never ends. And it's not just to get the monkey off your back. It's to live out the calling and the power of the gospel in your life. Pray hard, take initiative, pursue reconciliation. 
You know where the real gospel power is revealed when we pursue reconciliation? Not just like, oh, I forgave that. Now you go your way, I go my way. But pursuing true reconciliation, realizing that the other person is just as hurt probably and just as messed up and just as much needs love as you do. We've been given the the gift of being ambassadors of reconciliation to the world and it, it needs to happen in our own lives, in our families, in our small groups, in our churches, in our lives. What's true forgiveness? True forgiveness is truly loving the other person in spite of them and in spite of what they've done through the power of Jesus Christ. I get it. Sometimes sometimes you just can't reconcile with the things that have happened in your life. You just can't. The person might be passed on or circumstances say, well, you know what? I it just wouldn't you just can't reconcile with people. Those are, I think, are extreme cases that everyone wants to think theirs is the most extreme. But let me just encourage you with this. Even if you can't reconcile, you can reconcile your heart with the Lord and sleep at night because you know what you've done is right. And you can offer forgiveness by praying for the other person, praying that they would also encounter the love and the grace and the freedom of Jesus Christ. That they might be reconciled to God and possibly then be reconciled to you. Pray hard, take initiative, desire reconciliation. Here's the last one, trust God. I trust God with my life and I trust God with my finances. I trust God with so many things, but sometimes the hardest thing to trust God with is our relationships. Trust God, do what you know is right and trust God with the results. Sometimes it won't work out the way we think it should. We'll go into the right heart, right intention, and we'll, we'll try to make things right. And the other person won't be receptive to it all. They want to push us away. But you know what? You can at least go to bed at night knowing you did everything that was right in your own power, and you can sleep at the right heart before God. Sometimes, though, God is going to do the, 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 the thing that only God can do, and God's going to restore relationships, and God is going to do the, the miraculous, the thing that you thought could never possibly happen. God is going to do that just to show you how powerful he truly is, but you're never going to know unless you take the step of faith to trust in him and follow out his command to live a life of forgiveness. This is where our hope is found. This is where our healing is found. I don't tell you this from a place of arrogance of coming down on you. I have to live this out every day too. You think you're a pastor. You have to live this out. Absolutely. We deal with sheep as pastors and sheep bite. And it hurts deeply sometimes. And the easy, immature thing to do is to Pretend and say all the nice pleasantries, but to walk away with bitterness still in your heart. That's easy. The thing God wants us to do is to get on our faces and ask God to do his work in us that we could truly live out the gospel. My Saturday night routine before I preach is generally I get in my little room and I lock the door, I get on my knees and say, okay, God, God, is there anything in my life that's going to hinder me from you from speaking through me tomorrow? Without fail, almost every week, there's a phone call I have to make. There's an email I have to send. There's a conversation I have to be had in my own house even. But you know what? Often it comes out in that little time of prayer. That word that was spoken to you this week, you haven't forgiven that yet. That attitude that you encountered, you haven't forgiven that yet. 
that bitterness in your heart, that needs to be gone. Humbling, isn't it? Freeing, isn't it? Where do we go from here? I'm not telling you now to leave this place and try harder. You're going to you know, pull, pull up your bootstraps and you're going to go out and you're going to forgive and you're going to forgive and you're going to forgive. You're going to march the forgiveness tune for the next seven days. No, it's not even that. Here's what it is. It's like, you know what, God? I realize I need to forgive. I can't do it. I'm coming to Jesus right now. God, I need you to heal my heart. I need you to fill me with forgiveness for this person that I'm thinking about that I can't get out of my mind right now. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not me. This person that I know I need to forgive. I'm asking you, oh God, I'm surrendering to you again and asking that you would do your will in and through me. I'm asking that I would experience the power of the gospel again this morning in this place. Didn't come expecting this, but this is what I need. This isn't a try harder message. This is a set your eyes on Jesus message. Let Jesus be your ultimate example as you leave this place, determined to live out your life for his glory. Jesus is the means and the motivation for all of our forgiveness.